Welcome to The Long Way Around the Barn, where we discuss many of today's technology adoption and transformation challenges and explore varied ways to get to your desired outcomes. There's usually more than one way to achieve your goals. Sometimes the path is simple. Sometimes the path is long, expensive, complicated, and or painful. In this podcast, we explore options and recommended courses of action to get you to where you're going now. The Long Way Around the Barn is brought to you by Trility Consulting. For those wanting to defend or extend their market share, Trility simplifies, automates, and secures your world, your way. Learn how you can experience reliable delivery results at Trility.io. Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of The Long Way Around the Barn. Today we are starting a series focused on remote monitoring, management, security, and privacy in the senior living industry. In today's session, we will discuss IoT devices, data, and exploitation. Very simply put, what do you need to know to purchase, implement, and manage remote monitoring devices? How do you securely store, move, and use the collected data? And, do you, and how do you mitigate the exploitation of these systems by external actors? My guests include Nick Stark, a threat researcher at Aruba, a Hewlett-Packard company, and Xavier Johnson, a full-time ethical hacker and part-time cybersecurity instructor at the University of Michigan. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. Thank you. For a senior living community interested in adopting some of the newest connected remote monitoring technology that exists, what do you believe are some of the most important things leaders of senior living communities must consider when they're purchasing, implementing, and using connected devices in their communities and networks? For example, remote vital monitoring, daily activity monitoring, geographical movement mapping, predictive analytics, and contact tracing. What do you think are some of the considerations that folks uh, should review as it relates to hardware, network, cloud, platforms, data collection, use? Xavier, what are your thoughts on this? First thing that comes to my mind, privacy. Mm. Um, the, the considerations uh, of maybe where you're sourcing uh, this data, uh, excuse me, the, the actual hardware that this data is flowing onto, where else could it be going to? Um, if uh, we're dealing with a piece of hardware that has a system on the chip, how easy is it to uh, update the firmware on that specific device? Uh, what is the life cycle of that, and what's the management of it? How much of a pivot, uh, uh, m much of a pigeonhole, um, does it put you in? Right, like if you deploy it, you get stuck with one particular vendor using one specific stack. Right, like I don't want to name and shame, but we all know those those environments where you know when you go to go replace the one thing, you got to replace the whole thing unless you're going to continue to go on the life cycle, and eventually they'll upset you on repla replacing the whole thing. So uh, when we're talking about assisted living and we're talking about devices that are supposed to be there to help offset um, the load uh, and to load balance and to create a, a higher quality, we still have to make sure that we're doing right by way of privacy and uh, assuring that there are ways to maintain and update these devices. Mm. Mm. Good call. So privacy number one. And then also making sure that uh, we don't put ourselves in a corner such that we're not able to change or that when we do want to change, we don't end up having unplanned costs and complexity along the way. And that's a good call, Nick. 
uh, Stark. Uh, Mr. Stark, what are your thoughts on that? Fender lock-in is definitely um, an issue you want to consider. Like the the adoption of open standards with whatever communication protocols are implemented in the devices, um, that will allow you to build on top of whatever you deploy quite easily, as long as they're not using proprietary protocols and uh, things of that nature. In addition to privacy, I would say security is a big issue too, because um, because of privacy. Because there is sensitive data being collected and stored, um, you want to make sure that no one, no one who is unauthorized gets access to that data while still uh, maintaining the people who do, ha- do have authorization that they can still have access to it. So it's, it's balancing those two things. That's a good call. So making sure that we're balancing privacy and security. Um, from your perspective or from your experiences, uh, Nick, in different organizations, have you found that people uh, undervalue or overlook or just assume the relationship of permissions and access with devices? In other words, have you seen through time that people are most excited to plug things in and least excited to think about how to secure them? Or what have you seen? Yes. So I think there's there's the issue of, you know, you, you get a new IoT device and you plug it in. Um, it's the configuration of it, right? Not only just the device, but the network that it sits on and everything. And I see a lot of times that the amount of configuration needed isn't performed, and that results in, you know, security holes, exploitation vectors that open up. The device itself probably needs to be configured in some manner, and so does the, so does the network it sits on. So there's two different levels of configuration that you need to do, and a lot of times I don't see, um, you know, end users performing the amount of configuration that they need to perform in order to keep um, the devices safe and uh, the data safe and provide that level of privacy that is expected. Right. Okay. So there needs to be a plan. It's just that simple. There needs to be a plan for the device. There needs to be a plan for the device ecosystem. In other words, one or more devices and possibly spanning multiple vendors. And there for sure has to be a plan for the network, the network configuration, the device configuration, the security around it, and the privacy. So this isn't so simple as um, someone um, at an organization going and making a bulk purchase from Best Buy or some other store and plugging it in and everything rocks and rolls. But there needs to be a plan for what problem do you want to solve? There needs to be a plan for the device, even the firmware, as you brought up, Xavier. Um, So it sounds like there needs to be a lot of forethought is the summary. There needs to be a plan. And you know what else, Matthew? Uh, I like to, to toss in there. There needs to be room for innovation and room to play. And I think that, um, as a security person within a company, as a security engineer, we often are like, hey, you cannot do this. this thou shall not. And uh, us as testers, when we come in and we do our scans and we do our thing, and we reinforce why you shouldn't. But I think there's room for us to all play nice together and figure out a place on the network where we can go out and vet these things, where... Mm-hmm we get ahead of some of these uh, these problems. Maybe we start to think about our networks the same way that marketing thinks about campaigns and start to have more of a, a A, B environment beyond just broad dev. Like, hey, we we'll wanna try something out. Let's low balance some of our more stable users, our younger users in this case, 
that may take less attention over to something that uh, may have a higher risk uh, and reliability, but has all of these other features, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we're talking about lives here, so we have to be careful. But what I've noticed in healthcare, especially in the smaller clinics, as a tester, you find uh, these these doctors. They go out. They they run the show there at these clinics, and so uh, they go out. They plug whatever they want into the switch when you're not around, right? As a as a sysadmin. Mm-hmm. So uh, th- this is just a toy. This is the latest thing that they got on the the showroom floor or the show floor at a trade show. Uh, and sometimes they forget it's plugged in. Sometimes yeah. they don't change the default passwords. Most times they don't. And it could be a week. It could be any given a moment. It could be moments. Uh, you're talking about the potential of compromise, right? So uh, it, it's something that it, there's multiple angles that you've got to plan for, right? You don't want to put people in a box and then make them go stir crazy so that they just do outlandish things without your permission. You want to have a process in place so that they can actually feel empowered when they go hit the trade show, trade show floor to ask the right questions. Like, hey, uh, I'm going to take this to my team and they're going to put this in our special network. What do you want to let me know before I do that? Right. <laughs> right. What should I know? That makes sense. I wanted to speak to something that Xavier just mentioned that um, it really, an important part of this is how you build and validate, um, you know, the, the configuration that you're building, the, uh, the system that you're building. You know, I think it, I think um, external validation is going to be really important. You know, getting not only just checking all the check boxes on the compliance side, but um, you know, performing security audits, uh, penetration tests, things like that of these deployed networks beyond what the manufacturer is doing. Um, you know, on the manufacturer side, they need to be doing the same thing, and that should be a question that you know you ask as you're potentially gearing up the purchase. Uh, system like this is, you know, do you have a software bill of materials? Do you perform regular penetration tests? You know, these, the, do you, do you adhere to the compliance regulations around HIPAA for protecting health data? Um, and what do you do to meet those, those compliance standards? You know, these are all questions you should ask going in to, um, going into purchasing a system like this. That makes sense. So just, again, it comes back to, um, I'm sure that we're not touching the depth and breadth of the things that uh, you guys have seen and regularly test, but the net of the conversation so far is know what problem you want to solve, have a plan, and then figure out how to make sure you can evolve, test and evolve and not get boxed in. Privacy and security have to be done on purpose. They won't they don't accidentally come with the device when you take it out of the box. So, yeah, all right. Those are fun conversations. And that includes, that probably then spans across everything where the hardware, the network, the cloud. Yep. And the, the data collection in particular is a big deal. So, for example, with the idea of geofencing, organizations that are interested in geofencing are looking for ways to identify where are all of my staff, my healthcare worker staff, and putting in place ideas that says, if this part of the building, then these conditions, else this part of the building, then these conditions, and so on. So behavior-driven geofencing, if you will. Similarly, though, there are understandably some parts of the building where, uh, our elders, our, our family members um, should be 
in the senior living communities and some that are probably off limits dependent upon. I'm, I'm sure they wouldn't want to turn me loose in one of these buildings. They would have to tell me, Matthew, you stay in this side of the building. Please and thank you. Um, <laughs> but they are leveraging geofencing to understand where people are and where they should be. Um, also leveraging, there are some interesting new technologies that are monitoring your, um, your location in the building. Um, but in relation to your activities, in other words, how many times have you um, uh, been to the sink to get water and or have you taken your medicines and or your times uh, that you've taken for personal, uh, personal time, if you will, in the restroom? And so monitoring all of these things, not because there's an interest in knowing your details, but rather under, you know, enabling autonomy is the goal, enabling autonomy. But it means we're collecting data on everything all day, every day for all of our elders or family members, as well as all of our healthcare workers. Um, in this world where there are so many devices collecting so much of that data on so many people, we're going to just have a lot of data. What are your thoughts? How do you guys react to that? Uh, um, Nick, will you start us out on that? How do you react to that many devices for that many people with that much data? What do we do about that? How does a person in charge of a senior living community make sure they're doing right by the healthcare workers and doing right by the elders or our family members? And they stay within the law, but still add value. My first thought is uh, protect that data. You gotta, you gotta do everything within your disposal to protect that data. Um, but at the same time, you need to allow people who are authorized access to it. So um, from a security perspective, you need to have ac good access controls surrounding that whole uh, data, database, if you will, the, the collection of data that you're, that you're um, siphoning up from the devices. There needs to be auditable, you know, discernible access control lists that determine who has access to it and who doesn't. Um, another problem you're going to run into is just the amount of data. Like, um, you know, the, with all these devices collecting all this data all the time, you're going to just have, you know, terabytes and terabytes, if not petabytes of data. So you need a place to store all that, that that'll scale. And that'll be important because if you don't have that, all of a sudden your devices will not be able to send data to your central system. And, you know, you have an availability problem. So, um, the ability to scale is going to be very important, even just from a security perspective, um, not taking into consideration the business um, value of being able to scale. So um, I think maintain, you know, maintaining cloud platforms for your stuff is, is, a, is a good way of um, you know, meeting, that, meeting that scale. I mean, the cloud engineering stuff is built so that you can scale it out to you know, millions of users collecting all this data at once. And um, I think it it's much more difficult to, um, to do that on-premise. So I would definitely look into cloud options. Okay. That's a good call out. Xavier, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the volume of data and the method of collecting, managing, securing? Um, what are your thoughts on the cloud stuff that Nick was just uh, offering up as well? So when we talk about the data lake, as it's called, right? Uh, there, there are a couple of approaches you could take to it. And I've been involved with both of them, at least two of them. Uh, one of which is the on-premise method. 
This is going to require you to have military-grade security, encryption, uptime. Uh, I mean, if you're housing uh, secrets there that are military-grade, it makes sense to do that. Uh, I've worked for some, I've been lucky enough to work for some smart people that solve some hard problems that keep us safe. Uh, and I've been able to work in startups where things move faster and you grow uh, on demand, right? Where the, uh, the growth looks like a hockey stick. And sometimes you, you do things that uh, are maybe short-sighted, but to get the job done. And so what we want to make sure is with both of these approaches, be it if we move fast or if we want to roll our own and move really slow, the things that we want to do is, is very fundamental. Keep people away from the data, right? Humans and data just don't mix. So that means a lot of controls right there. I mean, we're talking five to seven layers of controls from access on the physical layer, access in the digital world, encryption, uh, the amounts of keys that it'll take to actually decrypt any one piece of information and the separation of those keys and over, over people, over a number of people. So uh, you treat your data like, uh, like you would a nuclear missile. I mean, it is that level of important to you when you're talking about uh, you know, if someone's brushed their teeth or if someone's taken their medicine. Like These are very, very intimate things that are otherwise not uh, captured or even capturable without some of these uh, endpoints. So it's a, you have a huge responsibility um, no matter which way you take it. And I would say that uh, with, with regard to cloud and the adoption of cloud, um, one fundamental in cloud is encrypt everything, right? Uh, you know, just encrypt everything. I forget the, the actual saying, something like dance like uh, uh, everyone's watching encrypt like no one is or something like that, right? Or the inverse, dance like no one's watching encrypt like everyone is. Yeah. Because they are, right? Yeah. And so even on your local environment, you know, that last mile, I find a lot of people will encrypt up to that point, and then it'll be on the private network and they're like, oh, okay, cool. Because um, it costs so much to do encryption cost, quote unquote, we'll just uh, plain text it until it makes it to the database where, where everything's encrypted by default on the disk. And that's where people like me actually go to go look with our Wireshark to get all of the, the free and clear packets. So take the time, be meticulous and create what in the cloud we call defense in depth. So um, putting multiple layers of defenses that are available, be it encryption, again, uh, digital access control physical access control, um, and, you know, there are ways to be able to create these layers in front of whatever it is that you're guarding. The cloud makes it really, really easy to do that, but at the expense of capital. So um, both of these solutions end up costing you uh, money at the end. It comes down to uh, how much data you have, what level of secrecy that data has, and how complex the systems are, right? how old your systems are that are already existing. Because if we're talking about somebody like ADT, which mm. could very well get into this business because they're already into monitoring and security, yeah. Yeah. they may have a standard data lake. They may not have anything in the cloud where they could just scale on demand like this, right? So there are, I feel for the CTOs and CISOs that have to solve exactly what to do with this level of data because you know, we thought social media was going to generate a lot of data. This is going to generate a lot of data. This and combined with mobility, because mm -hmm. this is kind of extension of mobility, 
in my in my mind, right? This is the medical end of mobility, keeping our elders self-sufficient longer, mm. right? Keeping an eye on them without being overly involved with them, right? I think that that'll create data that we've never had to house or ever seen. Mm. That's a good call. So the cloud conversation, so the, the, the capacity to store, that's a big deal because the volume of data is just ridiculous. You're, I'm almost giddy about how much it is. <laughs> but the capacity to store then, to your point earlier as well, Nick, is availability. Um, as the data surges or as it just increases, you need to be able to recognize it and uh, capture it and uh, contain it. But then yeah, also... And act on it, absolutely. So there has to be a plan. It goes back again to having a plan on purpose. There has to be a plan to know where it's coming from, to be able to handle it, to be able to store it. And then to your point, it has to be secured. Um, to both of your points, it has to be secured. It's just a non-negotiable. And in particular, healthcare, therefore HIPAA, and in some cases high trust, and there may be some additional considerations that if they don't currently exist today, they will need to exist. For example, when you consider state-by-state -state privacy laws and then an elder or a senior family member and or someone else in the family says, I want to know all of the data that you have on my dad. Now I want you to remove it. I wonder if that's come up yet. And if that's where that's heading, you absolutely must have a plan for the data or that is going to be a miserable and a horrible experience to figure out what data do we have and where is it? Now, how do I extricate it from my large, large vault of data? Have you guys uh, had those opportunities yet or uh, to, to look at, my gosh, how do I get that needle out of the haystack from the privacy laws? Um, not stateside, but GDPR hit everyone in mm. the product market in the mouth, square in the mouth. Uh, I worked at a company called Dynatrace uh, a few years ago, and we had a, uh, a, a large uh, number of people in Europe that use our product. Um, and the users, of, the users of our product data actually gets collected as well. So we had to figure out a way to actually you know, go in and literally find the needle in the haystack. And that goes back beyond any data that's even just live. That's all of copies of that data. Mm. Um, there is literally no one blanketed way to solve that problem. It'll really come down to data classification. Mm. And uh, I know that's an umbrella term, but whatever that means for your organization, some people are small and nimble, and they could potentially have a separate database for all of those users with different web endpoints where they house things in different regions, thanks to the cloud, and completely separate out those types of users. But when you talk about state level, mm, that becomes much, much more difficult. That makes sense. GDPR. So a lot of these communities that we're talking about right now may actually be domestic US, and they may have extensions down into Canada or Mexico, for example. But uh, it could very well be that some of these organizations have international footprints outside this particular continent. Um, those are good considerations. Good call out. And, and even if you look at uh, you know New York and California, the way that they're moving with their data privacy laws, they're going to have state level versions of GDPR very soon. Yeah. Like if not 
this decade. I can't imagine it not happening this decade, actually. It'll be a problem that we have to solve as a community uh, on the domestic level of data classification. And it's a good problem to solve. A lot of people who get into uh, HIPAA compliance should already have a strong data uh, classification program uh, because of uh, that's kind of a requirement, right? But that's something, that's a huge consideration that I'll be honest with you, I didn't even think about. (laughs) That's a good one though. So the net on this conversation on data guys, I think uh, what I've understood from you is Understand your points of origin, understand your traffic and demand capability, have the ability to receive it and store it and encrypt everything, um, encrypt everything. But then on the tail of that, you have to have the ability to honor um, and obey and be compliant with, if you will, privacy laws along the way, which is, hey, um, I know it's encrypted. I know you have all the stuff on my dad. Now I want you to show me what you have. Now I want you to remove it, please. And so state-by-state state privacy laws, big deal. So if you're an organization um, that has different types of data, you need a data classification plan. And if you're an organization that has different types of data in different states, it's even more important to have a data classification plan. Uh, so this is no plug-and-play job. This is not order 50 IoT devices from company 12, plug them into the net, and I'm a rock star. And now I have marketing materials. There needs to be a plan or you're going to be in the paper for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. Good one. So in terms of being in the paper for all the wrong reasons, let's talk about exploitation. Um, Nick, from your perspective on the work that you do uh, nowadays, uh, your responsibility is to see um, attack vectors and assess the quality of a solution that's being proposed, assess the method of securing it, attacking it, and destroying it. And similarly, Xavier, your responsibility, among other things, is you're hired to just go into various situations and um, ethically and responsibly and above board take it down. So I have questions for both of you, and I'd love to hear from both of you guys on this, but uh, Nick, would you start us off on exploitation of the systems? If you were um, responsible to go into any of these senior living communities who have recently adopted and implemented large Internet of Things uh, device networks or remote monitoring networks, if you will, managing geofencing and personal data and all of that, and your responsibility was to prove to them, hey, this is secure or is not secure, and here's how it's not secure, where would you be inclined to start? Sure. So I think the logical place to start in this type of assessment is to define a threat model, right? Define the, all the attack vectors that could be used against whatever system you're evaluating, and then just uh, go through each one of those and um, see, it, see, if, uh, see if you can attack it in that manner. So securing IoT devices is more difficult than securing regular systems. A lot of times because less protections are built in place to the IoT device, whether it be because the manufacturer didn't spend enough money to build security into it, or um, there was problems along the assembly. So with the addition of more security problems, you're gonna have more attack surface and um, there's going to be more ways to attack these devices. 
I would start by individually looking at the devices that are on the network or attached to, you know, the the rate the, the the hub, if you will, and um, just try my normal tools to see if I can get into them. One of the things I want to call out here, part of the threat model is going to include the patients themselves, right? You know, whether they take a, they, whether they don't want to be tracked and they, you know, break the device on their own or they try to get into it to, you know, manipulate the data that goes over the wire, you know, the patients themselves are going to be part of the threat model, part of the, uh, the, the attacks, the attack surface that, um, that is, that is part of the system. Mm, that makes sense. And so I hadn't considered that. So when you're considering all of the different ways to penetrate or manipulate the system, it needs to be all devices or all points of origin. And some of those points of origin are actually our elders or parents or our family members themselves, not because perhaps most of them desire to do bad things, but rather they, they might not favor the circumstance and have some particular opinions. And that could compromise the data or the equipment. I can certainly see myself doing things just to mess with uh, data analytics people and making repetitive trips to illogical places just to create heat maps that don't make any sense. I think that'd be hilarious. Or, you know, that could be accidental, too. You know, that could be a a factor as well. Sure. That's That's a real good call out is the threat model has to exist. And that threat model has to include all points of contact. It doesn't mean you're labeling granddad as a bad guy, but you have to consider granddad as a point of origin for data. Therefore, how do we make sure it's good data um, and secure data? Good call out. I hadn't thought of that one. Xavier, uh, if you were to walk into the situation and your responsibility was to prove or disprove or enable more secure solutioning, what do you consider to be some interesting uh, approach points? Um, I love Internet of Things. Internet of Things is, in my mind, mobility, right? It allows us to be able to stay highly mobile and collect different things from other things. And there's this entire network that we kind of, it's a new network that we have never really seen before, so much so that we've had to make new IP addresses for them. Right, and we're on the, the very front edge of this, and so for IoT, I would attack it like I would every other mobility, high mobility system. Radio, uh, I mean, so there's going to have to be some kind of GPS, if not cellular, if not Bluetooth, if not Wi-Fi, because you're not going to run miles and miles of copper, right? So radio. Uh, so I, I would probably start there. Um, and then if I was able to get a foothold, let's say, from radio, I would see if there was a way for me to send uh, endpoint to endpoint communications because they're probably a whole other layer of uh, SDK or API communications that only could happen on that, that route, machine to machine. So then you have the, the potential for a worm right, over wireless. And then if I wanted to attack it from, let's say, the server side, well, I know hardware folks aren't the best at software and software folks aren't the best at hardware. And so, I mean, being able to... They would all disagree with you in all of the directions right now. <laughs> <laughs> Love IoT. <laughs> so, I mean, we're talking about uh, potentially having, most likely having restful endpoints 
that have some type of authentication, most likely mm-hmm. OAuth or SAML, things mm-hmm. that we've seen and that we know, right? And that we know how it can be misconfigured. Um, and we're and we're trying to from the server side trick, you know, send commands to to endpoints, right? So there's you know this wireless side, there's this kind of management API angle, there's this machine to machine angle, and then like my end goal is you know if I'm proving a point and this is a controlled environment because I would never want to do this in real life, but I would try and demonstrate how ransomware would work. Uh, kind of a ransomware worm. I get one endpoint from a mile away using my radio. I get one endpoint a mile away, and that thing is a worm, and it goes into a community that may have three or four different systems mm. and compromise all of those systems using mm. just one rogue you know, Trojan, right? Sure. These are things that we have to think about because we're putting a lot of compute potentially into a bracelet, necklace. I mean, we're already carrying them around in our pocket, and right. we have to treat it the same way because if i can send bad packets over cellular just to mobile phones we have the same risk so we've seen these problems and we know how to address them but these are the things that i would test for to make sure that they have been addressed because most of the time the things that i test it's not like they're zero days they're often 900 and some odd days Mm. (laughs) days. so you mentioned earlier um endpoints um, so the idea of endpoint security uh, may or may not be something that uh, all of the technology shops and CTOs, CISOs, and senior living communities are aware of um, mm-hmm. if they haven't had to play with an API-driven platform or uh, cloud solution. Can you expound a little bit that on that as well, and as well as you, uh, Nick, as it relates to if I, IoT and then platforms or cloud ecosystems or endpoints um, what does that mean to them? How are they going to make use of it? And and uh, some of the implications. It sounds like it's an attack vector. Right. I'd say agents. Uh, agents are kind of our current way to approach endpoint security. Um, having an agent on the, the endpoint is going to create overhead always. So that'll need to go into the spec. Maybe this agent is maintained by the actual provider of the, the hardware. As kind of a selling point, I'm not 100% sure. These are just ideals. Sure. But I would say that that's the current day way to approach it. I think the next gen way to approach it would be more uh, potentially agent and combined with something that looks at the network traffic, uh, something that happens upstream to actually block known bad activities on the network level or uh, activities that aren't whitelisted, right? If you know that this thing is only supposed to do one of 100 actions, the moment it gets hundred, uh, you know, action one hundred and one, smack it down and say, "Hey, this is you know that this is happening. Is this something that you want to add as an action?" Uh, because those, those protections upstream are probably going to be what allows for these endpoints to to not just continuously get dosed and knocked offline. Sure. At a point, we're dealing with a small bit of compute up against a world of of hurt. Also, you know, segmentation and having these things away from the public where mm. they could potentially be tampered with to begin with. Right. Start there too. I think, I think that uh, we're probably talking about a platform based uh, conversation. Uh, one to many platform, one platform, very many different vendors, vendor classes, device classes, all of that is probably its own deep and wide conversation. Um, 
and we're just glossing over the top of it to say, hey, it's a thing. You need to know about the thing. (laughs) But uh, Nick, what are your thoughts on that in terms of implementing clouds and platforms and all of these endpoints? It looks like a giant bowl of spaghetti. Sure. So I don't know too much about endpoint security, but I'll I'll talk about a few things I do know. One is you're going to want to purchase a solution from a vendor, right? I, I don't know which vendor is the best this week, but um, there's a few. There's a lot of vendors in this space, and you're going to want to go with one of them. You're not going to want to try to roll your own. Um, the other thing I know is that you're going to need a person to manage that solution, basically as a full-time job. Um, if not a whole team of people to manage it, depending on how large the network is. So um, you're gonna, there's personnel involved in, in rolling out a, uh, an endpoint uh, protection solution. So uh, really that's all I know about it. So I'll, uh, But part of what I think you're suggesting too, uh, or let me ex- expand on it if you will, and tell me if I get it right, is you're suggesting that the cloud platform itself is its own conversation. And so if you're going to have more or less, you're saying you can roll your own, but why? Um, it makes more sense to go find ecosystems that already exist and put those together, I think, is where you're heading, as opposed to let me custom wrap all of the things on my own. Um, It'd be nice if it was open source mm, so that when yeah. I get bored, I can go play with it as an attacker. I can think about it as a DevOps guy. Think about it as a sysadmin. I can think about it as a software engineer so i can make it better more than likely but if you black box it then i have to go through hr i don't want to go through hr Mm. so if we if we can move some of this stuff that's going to matter to us in the future because let's be real we will have this technology while we're still young and able let's make sure that we form the right mentality right like let's not just make it a black box let's try and get this as open as possible so that we know that our, our grandkids and great grandkids are doing all right by us. Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> tickle bot, <laughs> tickle sweet peas. <laughs> uh, did you have anything you'd like to add on top of that, Nick? In my experience, um, yeah, I mean, open source is such a great way to go, but I have this conflicting idea in my mind that. You know, when it comes to the actual devices that are being, um, you know, deployed to uh, our elders, like I almost want to say, don't dis- don't you know, lock down that firmware that goes on those devices. Don't make that open source. Don't even make that public. Make that very very hard to come by. Um, I think that uh, from my perspective, if I can get access to the firmware of a device, I can get into the device. So I think firmware security is a very very important. Um, topic when it comes to um, discussing the security of the actual devices, not so much on the cloud platform, but um, the devices themselves. And I know that flies in, th- in the face of the idea of open source. I don't really have a way of reconciling that cognitive dissonance there. I, I, it's just in, in my experience, that's been a big, 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 big attack vector. So that's Make your it. job, though. I mean, from your perspective, if you can get the firmware, it's over. Yeah. And I'll be honest, Nicholas. Um, I'm probably still going to get the firmware. Yeah, that's true. I mean, like you can, you can even if you don't have it on a website somewhere, you can always desolder it. You know, the EMMC chip off the board. And I want to probably there. do the the logic analyzer route. Turn yeah. it to uh, ones and zeros. Get really ugly looking code and assembler. Really ugly looking C, but you know it'll stay the same. That API key. 
Yeah. And so it makes sense to that, that, you know, upstream, no matter what that cloud platform, that platform that we're talking about has to be hardened, has to be prepared for that kind of attack has to make it harder for me and not just, Oh, he has a key. That's something else too. Right. Like, uh, something that's only, you know, generated at boot, right. Mm. That I, I have to like literally tap into the, the boot sequence of the device to go and like steal the key and it's new every time. Right. So right. It has to be something that's outer world for it to be truly secure on the, the endpoint level. So it'll have to happen on a, a layered approach. It'll have mm. to happen at the network. It'll have every layer of the OSI model. Basically there'll have to be some kind of account for, uh, for this. Otherwise, I'll be honest, I'm uncomfortable. If we don't at least get, you know, seven of those controls in there. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Well, if, uh, if you would, I, I quite enjoy this conversation with you gentlemen, and I very much value you taking the time out of your schedules to, to talk with us about uh, these things. We think that the senior living community in particular, as are very many other industries, they're at the front end of adopting um, Internet of Things technology devices, and the devices have matured very, very much through the years. Um, predictive um, analytics, predicting a fall mm-hmm. is a very big deal, but in order to predict a fall, there must be gate analysis. To have gate analysis, there must be data. To be data, there has to be full-time collection so that only through time can you understand patterns and then predict variances from those patterns. And that's a, only one example of the inclusion of this technology in the senior living community. Now multiply that by every room in a senior living community in every building on every floor for every resident. And now add multiple layers of other devices over the top. If you'd allow me, some of the summary ideas that I believe that we've talked about today and I think brings us to a good close in this conversation so far, although I secretly want to have 10 more of these conversations, is you need to have a plan. If you are an administrator, a C-suite leader in any way, shape, or form of a senior living community, and you need to address nursing shortages, you need to address um, having to re-architect based on COVID, you need to address a surge in uh, residents or elders or uh, folks that are in your care. If you would like to adopt Internet of Things technology solutions, you need a plan. And that plan is not something that will be solved on Saturday with pizza and Mountain Dew. It's not something that will be solved at Starbucks with too much espresso. It's something that requires you to recognize it's an entire ecosystem, an entire plan, it's an entire team, and it's an entire set of training and learning. The devices themselves need to be secure and compliant. Where you're going to put the data, there needs to be a plan for how you get it, how you're available, how you secure it, how are you compliant with privacy. They're going to attach to something else larger called a platform up in the sky, basically cloud-based platform, unless you're going to build all that stuff in your house, which uh, I can tell you based on our own experience, building platforms for other companies, um, the, the unprofessional indirect an- or direct answer is no, just don't do it. Um, uh, the recommendation would be use systems that are already out there, public cloud solutions, private cloud solutions, but get platforms that exist that are secure and you can connect all of your things up to that. And then after you have the data, the compliance, the devices, you're still talking about all of the ways people could attack you. And it could be through employees, through the elders on the premises. It's a big deal. 
for companies that haven't put together information security plans or privacy plans yet, please do. For those that already have them, you're going to have to put an entire next chapter, giant chapter, onto your plans because Internet of Things changes the way your organization operates. And what we've learned from Nick Stark and Xavier Johnson this morning in our conversations is in our very short time together, we've only scratched just such a small part of the large surface of what should you get? How do you get it? How do you implement it? How do you service and secure it? And above all else, take the time to go talk to folks who are above board professional ethical people who can tell you the top five ways that you've overlooked and you still need to secure your ecosystem because there are so many moving parts. Think about this, and this would be our closing thought for the day. If I put 10 or 50 different monitoring devices into one room for one resident, and I have 500 rooms and I have 10 buildings, and I own 10 campuses across the U.S., and then I tell you, are you collecting data on my dad? Show me what data you have, and now get rid of it. How are you going to prepare for all of those things? It's not on Saturday. It's going to be through months and years of work, and it's going to be on purpose with on-purpose people and solutions. Xavier, Nick, thank you very, very much for taking the time to talk with us and teach us today. It is much valued, much appreciated, and I look forward to questions that we're going to get, and I look forward to talking with you guys again in the near future. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The Long Way Around the Barn is brought to you by Trility Consulting where Matthew serves as the CEO and president. If you need to find a more simple, reliable path to achieve your desired outcomes, visit Trility.io. To my listeners, thank you for staying with us. I hope you're able to take what you heard today and apply it in your context so that you're able to realize the predictable, repeatable outcomes you desire for you, your teams, company, and clients. Thank you. Thank you.